Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the wildly proliferating rumours of the podcast. We're linked with everyone. And I'm joined by the endless arguments about player of the season of the podcast, Joe Hill. Who's your pick? And finally, the prodigal son again of the podcast. He's beginning to make a habit of it. It's Josh Hobbs. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing well, mate. It's, uh, yeah, it's good to be back on again. Um, not leaving it months in between this time. Just in time for the season to end. It'll be good to have you on at the beginning of next season where there'll be a, a little bit more of interest maybe in terms of the, the wider narratives. But Joe Hill, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thank you. Um, I'm enjoying the player of the season world cup at the moment on the all stats aren't we channel that's um causing a lot of friendly debate in our chat um so it's quite nice to sort of think about that think about who my nominations might be it's all getting quite juicy who is your nomination joe i think i would probably go for dallas actually i think because of the way that he's plugged gaps in our team uh, it feels like um we might not have been we might not be where we are um, without Dallas just because of his versatility um, I think that's why I'd, I'd nominate him yeah how about you chaps well it's, I think it's no secret that Josh Hobbs would go for Shackleton as his player in the season <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Joe actually I think it's Dallas and I think not just like obviously he has plugged gaps but I think he's just been exemplary in in wherever he's been asked to to play it's not just that he's done a job um, I think he he maybe looked a little bit ropey at left back in the first first couple of games and then he had that game against Sheffield United third game in where he sort of played that inverting into midfield role um and then later on at Leicester he played a random role where he was almost like a left center back almost midfielder almost wing back it was I, I don't think I've ever seen a player play basically three positions at once 
uh, before, but I think he's just been a real leader of the team. And I think, um, yeah, the Man City game where he scored both goals and I've, I, he, he deserved that kind of moment because I think he's, he's just, uh, he's kept us going on all throughout the season. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with anything that you've just said. Um, and I think the only other names in the conversation for me really are probably Rafinha and Pat Bamford, who I guess on the other side of the uh, of the field have been putting those goals in and creating those chances that have got us where we are in the league this season as well. So, But I'm sure we will have a fuller discussion of this at some point on another podcast. Um, as for this podcast, this is the hotly anticipated Burnley preview. We're playing Burnley this weekend uh, Saturday, twelve thirty, another early kickoff. Um, and this week, I was lucky enough to talk to Jamie Smith, who is a freelance journalist and a Burnley fan. And this is what he had to say about Burnley. So, Jamie, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, thanks. You? Yeah, I'm doing really well. I guess you must be pretty happy after the result last night. Um, Burnley obviously can confirm their safety with a two nil win over Fulham. Um, looking back over the season, what would you say it was? A good season, mediocre season, bad season? The main emotion is relief. To be honest, um, it's been a bit of a slog this season. Obviously, it's been tricky with everything being behind closed doors and stuff. I think that's probably affected us more than a lot of other clubs. Obviously, everyone's in the same boat, but I think you can see by Sheffield United, for example, it seems to have hit them particularly hard. I think you look at our home form, it seems to have affected us more than others as well. Um, and our away form has been really good recently, so there's clearly something a bit odd going on. Um, and the way that we started the season, I think we had two points from seven games or something really, really poor, so to come back from that to be safe with three games to go, I think everyone would have taken that, given the way we started. Um, but, yeah, it's just a case of trying to, to finish strongly now. We're in reasonably good form, playing quite good football for us, um, but really I'll be quite glad it's over looking forward to next season and hopefully being able to go to a football match again that would be nice Obviously Burnley get a bit of a bad rap uh, as a team who aim for safety every season um, that should come I think with a caveat about squad spend and, and wage bill of course but how do you feel about these jibes? Are they fair and does it even matter? Yeah I think you're right to, to highlight the finances we spent £1 million in the last two, three windows so there's been very little investment in the squad um, and I think you could probably level the same sort of accusation at eight, nine teams in the Premier League. Safety is always the first priority. There's so much money in the Premier League, that's what people are aiming for first and foremost and then you kick on. You look at the Stokes that always were aiming to get to 40 points and then see what happened and then the team inevitably ends up being awful for the last few weeks of the season once they're safe. Um but I think people forget that Burnley have finished in the top 10 twice in the last three or four years. So this isn't a team that's just trying to finish 17th, really. Um, we've had a bad season this year compared to some of our recent campaigns. But I think there is potential for for the team to do better than that. And we've seen that recently. I mean, Burnley were in Europe two, three years ago. and No one would have seen that coming. So it might be asking a lot for us to do that over and over again. But... Yeah, I don't think it's quite fair for people to say Burnley are just trying to finish 17th. And when you see comments like, oh, I'd much rather see Fulham in the Premier League than Burnley, you just think, well, hang on, what have Fulham brought to the Premier League in recent years compared to compared to Burnley finishing 7th and, and 10th or whatever it was last year? I'm interested in how the fans feel about it because I, I think 
speaking as a as a Leeds fan, there's a sort of sense that once you get into the Premier League and you've had had a mid table finish, then you can just push on and get European places, um, which obviously doesn't always feel uh, doesn't always pan out that way. But um, I think there'll be a lot of Leeds fans who'll be quite disgruntled when we are still mid table in a couple of years' time if that would happen. So how do the fans feel about um, the fact that you know the reality for so many Premier League sides is that they're team will be a mid-table side in the Premier League. I think it's it's probably accepted generally. Um when we have had bad runs and it's all like we've been in relegation scraps, there's been a subsection I'd say of fans who have talked about being reasonably satisfied about going back to the championship. There's this idea that if we got relegated then we'd just cruise to promotion again like we did last time and that might happen and I love the championship. I think it's the best league in the world for drama and intrigue and the stories that you get in the championship are just unsurpassed. But there's no guarantee that you come back. There's plenty of teams that go down and don't come back. So you can't assume that you're going to have a one-year holiday in the championship and go into the, the Brentfords and Wickhams or whoever and just turn them over. It's not necessarily going to happen. If and when Burnley get relegated again, there's no guarantee that they'll be straight back. So... Um, I think that's a bit of a naive attitude to take. I think we're, we're going to be going into our sixth season now in the Premier League, and while that's an amazing achievement, it, it does start to make you wonder what the ceiling is. Um, finishing seventh that season and getting into Europe was probably the peak. Um, if we can do that again, it will be incredible. But I think you're right. You get to a stage where you're kind of existing. Um, there's a few clubs in a similar boat. I think Crystal Palace maybe. They seem a bit dissatisfied with um, just achieving what's expected, really. It seems like they're going to turn away from Roy Hodgson and have a big squad overhaul, which won't necessarily make them any better. But I think there's appetite for a change of direction at Palace. I don't think that's happened at Burnley yet. Um, I'm sure we're going to come on to the takeover. It'll be interesting to see if that does change things behind the scenes because there was certainly a sense that the previous owners had probably taken the club as far as they could go they seem to be reasonably happy just coasting along. Sean Dyche, reasonably confident in keeping them in the, the league on a shoestring budget. So, um, yeah, whether the, the, there's going to be any changes this summer is going to be quite interesting to see. Well, you mentioned the takeover there. The last time we spoke, Burnley had just been bought out by ALK Capital. And I think there was some concern about the way they'd structured the deal financially. How are you feeling about ALK now? Yeah, I mean, I've still got the same concerns over the takeover itself. It seems to be um, the same sort of leverage buyout that the Glazers did at Manchester United. Obviously, there's a lot of talk about them at the moment and how they've essentially bled the club dry over the last decade or so. Um, and and I don't think ALK and the chairman, Alan Pace, have, have properly explained the, the deal yet. And that's a shame because I've had multiple opportunities to do that and I don't think I'm the only fan who's a bit concerned. Um, but they do say the right things. Um, they talk about wanting Burnley to be everyone's favourite underdog, which is already becoming a bit of a cliche because they seem to say it in every single interview. But I think it's a good line and something achievable and worth trying to pursue. Um, Burnley is still a small club in, in the Premier League, even though we are reasonably established and in terms of marketing, our our income is, is tiny and that's certainly something that they can push forward with. Um, and they're doing things like revamping 
um, the interior of Turf Moor, which has started to look a bit tired in some of the areas. So they've clearly identified that to try and up the income there. And for the last home game where there's going to be some fans in, they have announced that all tickets are going to be free uh, and allocated through a ballot. Um, I'm not sure exactly what all the other clubs are doing, but I heard Spurs are charging £60 for tickets for the last game, which seems absurd to me. So they are doing some good things, but for me it's very early days still. It was what New Year's Eve, New Year's Day that they took over, so the jury's still very much out for me. I'd like to see some action over the summer before really judging. Yeah, and this summer was going to be the real, the first real um, transfer window um, that they have to, to spend money. I know they did come in, as you said, just before the January transfer window, but um, is the feeling amongst fans that ALK will start to spend big this summer? Define big. It might be big in, in Burnley terms, but I don't think it's going to be big in, in Premier League terms. Um, I don't think it was a surprise that we didn't do anything in January. I think the market was obviously very very depressed in January with COVID and everything that was going on. There was very few clubs doing anything major in the market. So I think we'd like to have seen a couple of bodies, but there was, I think most teams didn't sign anyone. So it wasn't a big concern. Um, I think we're in a better position in terms of the squad than a year ago. There's a lot of um, disagreements between Dash and the board over contracts last year. And we ended up in a farcical situation where Phil Bardley, Phil Bardsley was released and then signed a new deal two or three days later having said goodbye to all the players because he thought he was leaving and then there seemed to be some sort of U-turn um, but I think they've sorted almost everyone apart from maybe Robbie Brady um, so there's not going to be the same sort of um, worry over actually being able to put a team out at least um, but I think there are there's obviously weaknesses in the squad that do need to be addressed same at every club um, and I think recruitment is an area where Burnley haven't perhaps done as well as they could and should have done. We've brought in a director of football, Mike Rigg, who was hyped as having worked at Man City and helped sign players like Aguero. Probably not going to bring Aguero to turf more, but <laughs> he seems to have come with this massive reputation and our targets have remained very much the same as as they were before. So I think Rigg's going to be in the spotlight, see how he works with Dyche this summer. And, and I'd like to see us be... I think ambitious is quite a loaded term because I think Burnley being in the Premier League is a sign of their ambition already. But I think we do need to try and be a bit more think outside the boxy in terms of recruitment and not just go after whoever Stoke are letting go, which seems to be our main plan for the last (laughs) few years. We've been talking a lot on our channel recently about what we want to see from the last three games of the season. So I'll put the question to you. What do you want to see from Burnley for the last three games of the season? Honestly, the main thing will be that it's nice to just watch games with no no pressure on it, really, with with safety having been secured. Um, there should be quite good games. Obviously, Leeds are, are known for, for being entertaining to watch. We've got Liverpool as well, and then Sheffield United on the last day, which could be the beachiest last Premier League <laughs> game of the season um, anyone's ever seen. So... Uh, just some fun games would be nice, really. I mean, everyone has a go at Burnley's tactics and the way they play, but we've actually had a lot of goals in our games recently. We won 4-0 at Wolves, scored three away at Palace not that long ago as well. So if we can carry on marrying that sort of new attacking intent with the defensive solidity that we're known for, I think it was 11 clean sheets after the win at Fulham. Um, if we can merge those two together, then I think the future's reasonably bright, and that's probably what Dash will try and do. 
Um, I suppose one of the things fans always say at this time of the season is play some youngsters, and um, that'd probably be nice as well. I, I can't say I've paid that much attention to what's going on in the youth teams, but if there are talented youngsters that Dyche and his staff think have got futures at the club, it would be nice to see them get a go over the next week or so as well, I suppose. So let's move on to talk about the the last game between these two sides. Um, it was a, an interesting fixture, which leads 1-1-0, but I think you caused us a lot of problems in that game. I think we were quite lucky in many respects to come out with all three points. Yeah, I think um, it was a strange game, wasn't it? Because we, we always hear about Leeds dominating games and having so much of the ball, and it wasn't really like that. I don't know if you've had many more wins where you've sat back and soaked up the pressure. It really showed that... Bielsa's leads can go about things a different way and they're not just um, a team that will always try and play the same way I thought that was quite interesting I agree, I thought it was probably a little unjust, I still don't think it was a a penalty, I think Nick Pope got the ball and then took out Bamford Um, but I thought we played reasonably well, we created plenty, we were on the front foot, we just, at that time of the season we were struggling to score goals and I think that showed um, so hopefully it'll be different this time with Chris Woods obviously in very good form and we're going to talk about him um, ex-Leeds as well so he'll certainly be up for up for trying to continue his good form so it should be a, a decent game like I say Burnley are attacking more than anyone expected really I'm not sure what's happened but Dash seems to have taken the handbrake off in the last few weeks so you're expecting anything different tactically then from Dash this time around it's just going to be that more attacking play do you think? I think so, yeah. I mean, Dash doesn't vary his tactics too much, but again, I think he's sort of unfairly maligned for this. It's not like it's exactly the same every league. He does tweak things for the opposition, um, but it it probably will be the four four two that we normally see from Dash. He played a five in midfield at Man United, but I think that was tailored because we were worried about Pogba playing on the left, and that was very much a, a one-game plan. I don't think he'll do anything specific to try and counteract leads. Um, what I'd like to see us do is try and come up with a plan to balance out the the man-for-man thing that leads do all over the pitch because I think there are opportunities to create overloads if you go back things the right way then. The way that we move the ball quite quickly going forward has the chance to do that if we can get in behind. Um, Vidra will probably play up front with Ward and he's a threat in behind. First goal at form came from what critics would probably call an aimless punt, but if it was a Man City 70-yard ball that got the striker in behind, it'd be called a targeted long pass or some other rubbish. So there'll be a lot of that. We will look for Vidra in behind early and Wood in the air early. It'll be similar to what people have seen from Burnley before, but we are certainly getting more bodies forward. Ashley Westwood scored a couple of goals recently. Um, he's our joint to- joint second top scorer now in the league on three which isn't great but it does show that he's been getting in the box more than he normally does how do the fans feel about Dyche at the moment his longevity has obviously been remarkable and um he he obviously has that knack as you said for keeping Burnley up on a shoestring budget um but obviously fans aren't always quite so rational when it comes to things like that so any signs that sections of the fan base are looking for a change I think it's it's the same as at most clubs really. When when results are good and performances are good, everyone's happy. Um, when we started the season so badly, and the caveat there is that we didn't have key players. Um, Tarkovsky and me were both injured for the first few weeks of the season, so I don't think it was a surprise that we started that badly. But there, there were some rumblings at that stage, I think, talking about 
the football. I think the, the issue with Dyche is that when we get on a bad run, he seems to sort of regress into his most Dyche-ness. We'll go very, very rigid, try and be very solid. His response to a bad defeat is always to try and get a clean sheet in the next game. If it's nil-nil, that's absolutely fine. Dash seems happy with that, no matter who we're playing. Um, so I think there's always rumblings under the surface, but I think all Burnley fans accept that what Dash has done at this club, coming in when we were mid-table in the Championship, taking us to mid-table in the Premier League via a season in Europe, via romping to the championship title it's beyond the wildest expectations of anyone when we appointed a guy who had one season of experience as a manager at Watford when he got sacked at the end of it so what what Dyche has done I don't think enough can be said about his achievements really I think he still goes under the radar he never gets linked with the big jobs um, because he's not trendy like Graham Potter's the one at the moment who everyone thinks is deserving of a big job look at the table where are Brighton? They're below Burnley, like they were last year. Um, but, yeah, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. I think fans would probably be quite happy if Dyche did an Alex Ferguson or an Arsene Wenger and was at the club for 20 years. Um, I think your point about longevity is right. I think there's an appetite for change at some clubs when it gets to this stage. Um, Eddie Howe seemed to run out of ideas at Bournemouth last season Roy Hodgson seems to be being pushed out at Palace after four years I think it is mainly because he's old um, but there's certainly no no clamour for a more exciting manager than, than Dash. I think the fans really appreciate what he's done and very happy for him to stay for as long as he wants the job really you mentioned Chris Wood earlier, um, obviously, as you said, an ex-Leeds player. So I think Leeds fans always keep an eye on him. He's obviously had another good season for you and clocked double-figure goals again for the umpteenth season. Um, how important has he been for you this season? This season has really crystallised how important Chris Wood is for us, I think. Um, because he's always led the line and if he's fit, he starts. And he, I think we've taken him for granted a little bit. But this season he did start the season quite poorly and it wasn't all his fault because the team was playing badly, the supply line wasn't functioning properly. Um, but when you're a team that is struggling for goals, it's the striker who is in the spotlight, rightly or wrongly. And there were games where Wood had maybe one chance in the game and didn't take it and we didn't score. And then everyone will point at Chris Wood and go, well, you had that one chance. But most teams create more than one chance in a game. So... I think the criticism of him earlier in the season was probably unfair. Also, like like the majority of strikers, he runs on confidence. You watch him now and he's full of confidence. The goal he scored against Fulham took it brilliantly. He wouldn't have done that four or five months ago before he got on this run of form, but now he's looking to score all the time. Um, I think the thing with Wood is that he needs to play with real energy and wants to fight with the defenders. Sometimes he can be a bit passive, um, but I always think he's at his best when he wants to be physical, get in the face of the defender, make it a real battle for them. And I think that's what Dash wants from his, his striker as well. Um, but he still goes really under the radar, more widely, I think. The stat came up when he got the hat-trick against Wolves. That I think there was five, six players in the Premier League who've hit double figures four years in a row. That consistency is really underrated. Every team wants a sort of 15, 20 goal striker and there aren't that many of them around. If you can get a 
12 goal striker like Chris Wood is, that's a really good start for a team like Burnley. Um, and it's not out of the question that he could finish with 15 this season, which would be his best return and a real sign of his, his development. I think he's he's very much at home at Burnley. The team, four years into his spell here, he's very much set up to serve him, a lot of crosses into the box. Um and I think his partnerships with players like Dwight McNeil on the left and now Matty Vidra playing up front with him, the partnerships are really coming along. So in a way, I'm a bit surprised that he's never been linked with a move away because I think if you told most clubs in the bottom half that there's a striker who's going to guarantee you 10 plus goals a season and he probably wouldn't be massively expensive and he's very humble, he doesn't kick up a force, he leads the line well, they'd be like... Okay, where can we buy this striker? And it seems like he's just sat under the nose of the entire Premier League as a very, very reliable player. Who else has been important for you player wise this season? Same sort of usual faces, really. I mean, we didn't really bring in anyone to help, so it's it's very much been the, the same old guard. I think James Tarkovsky's had a very good season. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with him because he's only got a year left on his deal now and he's talked about wanting to, to play Champions League football. So I think this could be... Um, it's going to be a summer where we have to decide if we take what we can get for him or risk him walking away for nothing in a year's time. Um, the unit at the back is very solid. So Tarkovsky and Ben May, a partnership that we've fielded for the last three years or so, incredibly solid. Nick Pope's had a couple of dodgy games, which is unlike him because he's normally very reliable, but on the whole, another very good year. 11 clean sheets, like I said earlier, for a team in the bottom half. That's very good. Obviously, he played a couple of games for England in the last break because John Pickford was injured. I think he's he's really pushing hard for that England number one spot. Um, and whenever I'm on podcasts, I always have to talk about Dwight McNeil because, again, consistency with McNeil is always at a very good level um, his delivery is outstanding for a player so young his set pieces are getting better and better and I think McNeil is probably the one in our team that has a much bigger future I'd be surprised if McNeil doesn't play for the sort of Champions League teams that Tarkovsky thinks he's capable of playing I think McNeil's the one in the squad who's the obvious star Well let's talk about the, the match on Saturday, how are you looking injury wise at the moment? Quite good, I think, um, compared to how it's been for much of the campaign. It looks like things have cleaned up. Um, the 11 that we've named for the last two, three games is very close to our strongest team. I think with Vidra partnering, Wood, Vidra's goes, he's been on the fringes really for most of his time at Burnley. And it was almost like a last resort when he got thrown in this season because Barnes and Rodriguez have been out for, for long periods. Um, but Vidra really seems to have nailed down his spot now. He's he's delivering what Dash wants, which is all action, pressing from the front, and the, the sort of relationship and partnership with Wood seems to be getting better all the time. So um, I think that's been almost an accidental success. I don't think anyone expected Vidra and Wood to be the front two at the end of the season, but now it looks like they'll be the front two for the start of next season. So... Um, the injuries to, to Barnes and Rodriguez have sort of done us a favour in that regard. Um, I think Brady's probably going to miss out. I'm not surprised by that anyway. He's had a lot of injury problems since he's joined us, really. Like I said earlier, his contract is up this summer. It looks like he's going to go. So 
even if he gets fit in the last couple of weeks, it probably doesn't make sense to play him and risk him getting a move somewhere else. So it looks like he's going to sit it out. And then just a couple of squad players, I think Kevin Long is out at the minute, but just a bench player anyway. So it's pretty much our strongest 11 at the moment, which is really good because injuries have hit us really hard this season and we don't have the squad depth that a lot of clubs have. So when we have two or three out, it makes a really big difference. So what do you think the starting 11 will be on Saturday? Same as the last couple of games, I think. So the normal the normal back five, Tarkovsky and me with Lowton, Taylor as the full-backs, Pope obviously in goal. Um, Josh Brownell's been filling in on the right. I don't think it's his best role. He's much preferred to play in the middle, but since Jack Cork got fit and reunited with Westwood in the middle, I think Brownell has to play on the right if he's in the team. So it'll be Brownell on the right, McNeil on the left, Cork and Westwood in the middle and Vidra and Wood up front, like I say, a partnership that seems to be getting better every week at the moment. One of them seems to be scoring every go- every game, the other one is creating, so that's the, the big threat for Leeds to be looking out for. And I always ask this, but which players do you think need to perform well if you're to beat Leeds? I think we need to be um, solid at the back, it's always the, the benchmark for Burnley. When we are solid at the back, we are hard to beat. So Tarkovsky's been good recently, Mee's been good recently. If they play well, then then we'll have a chance of getting a good result. Um, going forward, Chris Wood is obviously the main man. We will look to him to, to score our goals. We'll look for him from crosses. And McNeil is always the, the main creative threat. So really the, the main four or five guys that you'd normally highlight as being Burnley's most important players are probably going to be the same again in the Leeds game. And on the other side of the team sheet, which Leeds players worry you? I think obviously... Bamford is the the obvious one to pick out. I think when I was on the show earlier in the season, we talked about Bamford at Burnley and how it didn't work out. And he's done some interviews where he's talked about things that Dash said to him. They clearly just rubbed each other up the wrong way. So he'll probably have some extra motivation for this game. Um, I didn't think he played that well in the first game, even though he scored. He scored the penalty, didn't he? He must have. Um, So I think he'll be looking to, to end the season strongly. He'll have a bit of extra motivation for this one. Um, and I always think with Leeds, if you manage to reduce the influence of Calvin Phillips, then it's not the same team. I don't know how you do it because he's obviously a very, very talented player. But I think Burnley will try and press him hard and early and try and reduce the, the sort of influence that he has on the team, setting the tempo, these things. It's it's difficult to stop Calvin Phillips, but I think if you can do that, you you certainly reduce how effective Leeds are. I never ask for predictions on, on the show, but I do ask for a sort of assessment of how you expect the game to ebb and flow. So how do you expect the game to go on Saturday? Yeah, well, it's good because I'm rubbish at predictions. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll probably be quite similar to the, the game at Ellen Road earlier in the season. Um, I think the, the sort of merging of styles, I think, is always going to be quite interesting for a game like Leeds Burnley, where... Leeds are very much determined to keep the ball and play on the four and build up passing moves and Burnley will be quite happy to go direct so I wouldn't be surprised if Leeds had 60-65% possession probably something quite ordinary for Leeds anyway but um, I think we will probably try and play on the break it was interesting that in the first game Leeds ended up sitting back on their lead and we couldn't break them down um, but I think it will be different this time because we are much more effective going forward. The attack is functioning much better than it was earlier in the season. So hopefully it'll be entertaining and, and we'll see some goals. Early kickoffs always worry me because they can be quite stodgy. Um, so I'm not making any promises, but yeah, hopefully it'll be a good game. 
Well, Jamie, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. What is the best way for our listeners to see what you're putting out in terms of football? Yeah, you can get me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport is my art, and I'll probably be tweeting various nonsense throughout the game about Bielsa sitting on a bucket or whatever. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on today. No worries, always a pleasure. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So that was Jamie Smith, a freelance journalist and Burnley fan, uh, talking about Burnley there. Um, I will kick off in the time-honoured fashion by asking, I'll start with you, Josh. Um, what sort of questions, ideas, thoughts were flowing through your head when you were listening to Jamie speak there? Yeah, he um, he mentioned the partnership of uh, Tarkovsky and me uh, being vital uh, for them. I can't, can't remember if Tarkovsky played last time. I should have checked it. But me definitely played. And I thought me was a disaster. <laughs> in that game although Burnley I think played well and put us under pressure and it was not a game that I enjoyed at all but in the first half particularly we had real joy by getting him under pressure there was a couple of moments where he was trying to play it back to the keeper and he was just all over the place um, so I'm thinking we're going to be pressing him aggressively whenever he has the ball I know he's going to try and get it forwards as quickly as possible but we are that good at pressing that I think we can force errors or get turnovers from him. But I wondered, does this mean we'll see Harrison uh, used on the right because me plays on the left of the uh, centre-back partnership? Or do we just think Bamford's going to do that job uh, and we'll just have Rafinha back on the right? So I'm, I'm presuming Rafinha's going to start again now. Um, I I would be thinking that we can play Rafinha on the right. I think he's a good enough presser. Um, but we know that sometimes if we really want to press them, we'll, we'll use Harrison. So it's just a thought that I had. Yeah, I think this is uh, the first of a couple of fixtures where we'll probably play, well, we're playing against a, a pretty much a 4-4-2. Uh, and that will mean for us a return to the 3-3-1-3. Uh, I think that's kind of the really interesting aspect of this um, of this fixture. Um, I'm just looking now actually to see the lineup from the first Burnley game. I did watch the game back yesterday and I've completely forgotten what the lineups were. So um, Tarkovsky did play. Um, and yeah, I guess um, last time around we played Harrison on the left, Rafinha on the right and, and Bamford in the middle. And then we had Rodrigo behind the, that front three, click behind him because um, Phillips played in the centre of a back three pretty much. We had Strauch on the left, Ailing on the right of that back three, and then Alioski and Dallas as wing backs. Um, so yeah, I guess it, maybe now is a good time to talk about the about the structure because I suspect that the team 
sheet will look quite different on on Saturday. Um, Josh, you've just mentioned that you sent your uh, predicted lineup to someone um, for for the Southampton game, but that you went with what you think this game is going to look like. So, what did you what do you make the of the of the potential lineup? Obviously, Melier in goal, um, but then I think Cock will will start a game, but he'll start as centre of the back three. Um, Yorente right centre back, Strauch left centre back. And then I think Dallas will be moved to left wing back where he is able to push into midfield or or be a wider option, uh, ailing right wing back. And then I think, yeah, I think Phillips plays in, in front uh, of the back three. Uh, and then I think the main question is around that next midfield spot, which I think after the last game, I would... I would play Cleek again because I think he he looked back onto him uh, his top form against Spurs um, and yeah I I think Rodrigo it's notable that he's recently been used as a sub up front rather than coming on uh, in that attacking midfield spot so I think it'll be Cleek um, maybe it's harsh on Roberts who's played well recently but um, our press is just better when when he's in uh and then wings uh Harrison and Rafinha I would go Rafinha on the right but as I said as a question um it could be Harrison and then obviously Pat up front but I, th- I think that's a stronger team than we were able to put out against them last time and I think we would be able to have control of the ball in midfield quite a lot better with that team than we did where it was Cleek in front of th- the three and then Rodrigo and they, I just, yeah, I've said before, I don't think those two can play together, but, but, uh, Cleek in front of Phillips is, uh, I'm much more comfortable with that. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I rewatched the game, as I said yes, yesterday, mainly because I wanted to try and ascertain where it was that, that Burnley were causing us problems. And I just think Burnley are one of those teams who do a couple of things well that we always struggle with. One of them is that they, that they press actually quite well in wide areas and they will, deny us uh, sort of huge amount of scope and space for build up in wide areas and the other thing they do is they sit sit where they def- when they defend when they defend deep because i think we expect burnley to just sort of be a deep lying team who try and hit teams directly um and i don't think that's necessarily fair but i think when they do defend deep they are structured and and hard to break down and i think what they will do is they will they'll sit deep be hard to break down and they will be quite direct in um in in their attacking play as well and i think that can cause us problems as well um something that i noticed against spurs is that that spurs just gave us every opportunity to get back into a defensive structure in counter-attacking situations and i don't think burnley will do that so i do think this is going to be an interesting game from from that perspective um joe i'll bring you in at this and push josh's question over to you um because we we, we have um we, we've sort of skirted around it a little bit but um in terms of that forward press that that he's mentioned um the fact that that me might be able to be got at uh, and therefore playing harrison on the right and then rafinha on the left might allow us to to sort of generate some counter-attacking opportunities from our press what do you make of that i'm just going to play devil's advocate here but um I think having Rafinha on the right would mean that um, he can potentially capitalise on uh, Ben Mee's mistakes. We saw it in the last game against Burnley at home. Um, one of the biggest chances in the game where um, Bamford, Bamford cleared it off the line, a shot from Harrison and it, and it hit um, Bamford. But that came from a Ben Mee mistake and Rafinha capitalising on it um, and then playing the ball across to Harrison to finish. 
Um, and I'm not I'm not saying that Harrison couldn't do the same job because it was just running through the the center really. Um, but I think Rafinha is better cutting in on his left foot from that right hand side, and even if he only gets one opportunity uh, to pounce on one of Mee's mistakes, um, then I think he's going to be a bit more clinical with it than than Harrison would be. So uh, I would start Rafinha on the right for that for that reason. I do agree with that. It's just something that we see sometimes. I think if if maybe we see it when um, Bielsa is more worried about what the left wing back or the left winger might do uh, from the opposition that that he puts um, that he puts Harrison on the left almost more as a defensive thing. But whereas in this case, I'm maybe thinking of it as an attacking thing, a counter pressing thing, uh, where Harrison will come in from the left wing and put me under uh, sorry from the right wing and put me under pressure as he's receiving the ball um it's it's just an option that I think maybe we might even if he doesn't start there we could see that at some point but I 100% agree Rafinha is our most effective player from the right he I think he does he has more influence on a game when he plays on the right um although obviously he's got some very nice assists and things from the left I like the way if he's on the left He's really, really direct and intentional in his first touch, trying to just knock it down the line and burst through, uh, as we saw with the the Rodrigo goal uh, from from the weekend. But yeah, I, I think Joe's right. Just I just think this might be something to watch for at some point. Will we put Harrison to just basically just press the life out of me? Yeah, and another thing I picked up on, I guess, from rewatching the game is that it's it was just a really stodgy game. Um, both teams were were trying to pressed quite aggressively on the on second balls and it just meant that it was just a huge amount of turnover of of possession and um, there wasn't really much of a chance for either team to to transition much and to be honest I think Leeds's best chances came from Burnley losing possession uh, as well so I think that that might be um, a, a useful way of generating chances as well like you said through the counter pressing. Joe what about you what was the the sort of questions ideas that you had running through your head when you were listening to Jamie? It's it's on a similar topic because um, mine was mainly about the pressing from Burnley. Um, it certainly took me by surprise how much they pressed us last game. Um, I didn't really have them down as being that pressy, um, but maybe that's just my lack of research. Um, but I wondered if we're going to have better luck playing uh, through the press this time for a, for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them is that we have a nearly fully fit squad um, and we can afford to um, play some better players uh, or some players more suited to that position, I should say, um, in terms of the centre-backs, the wing-backs and the DM. Um, so, like Josh mentioned earlier, we could have Strout, Cock and Urente as a back three and then Ailing in his preferred position. Well, I'd say, I guess wing-back isn't preferred, but um, he'd probably play... He'd probably rather play there than uh, centre-back, I'd imagine. Uh, but Phillips in his preferred position as well in the DM role. Um, and I'm just wondering if that would help us play through the press a bit more. Um, and another factor that I considered uh, when when Jamie was talking um, was just more of a general one that Burnley Burnley's aim every season, um, there or thereabouts, is to just be safe and to not get relegated. Um, and I do wonder if they're going to not press us quite so hard given that um, their safety was confirmed in the last game. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I do agree with you that we'll have a better team out, as you both mentioned. But I also think it's worth pointing out that when we played Burnley last time, 
Uh, they played Josh Benson on the right, a player who I have never seen play again. Uh, they played Eric <laughs> Peters as a left winger, uh, which I think most people, probably himself included, would agree isn't necessarily his best position. And one of the things that Jamie mentioned was how um, Burnley are now playing quite a, a bit more attacking in, in terms of their style, and it seems to be working out quite well. Um, so I wondered if either of you two had picked up on that aspect of it as well, and, and, and whether I haven't watched enough of Burnley recently to, to be able to comment on it in, in terms of the specifics, um, but wondered whether or not either of you thinks the fact that Burnley will be playing a different style of football might help as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny one because I, I have to admit to the fact that we, we were um, speaking in a group chat of some of uh, our friends the other night and uh, I basically didn't really realise that Vidra was, had been playing like the last however many games uh, for, for Burnley and uh, as Jamie said, he's he's been a good player for them. Uh, recently I went back and looked and he'd played like seven in a row and he'd scored a couple of goals and he'd been linking up with Chris Wood and I realised that oh I, d- I don't think I've watched B- Burnley in in a couple of months really despite the fact that I watched loads of games <laughs> just somehow I've just I don't know maybe I've just avoided Burnley somehow but um yeah I think they might take me by surprise a little bit because <laughs> because of that but I think the good thing is uh we know they're not going to take Bielsa by <laughs> by surprise. He's he's going to know uh, what's going on. Interesting uh, Vidra being in because last time it was Barnes uh, and Wood together, and that's sort of the most physical um, front two that you're basically going to come up against in in the league. Um, when I did a a thing uh, for Scouted Football on on Strauch, um Recently, one of the things I wrote about was how Strauch uh, handled Ashley Barnes because I thought he did a really, really good job against him. Um, But Vidra is a completely different um, type of player. He's going to make a lot of runs in in behind, but he's also going to want to come and receive the ball to his feet where he can uh, and and sort of try and turn and play forward. So that's that's quite different to basically a crap ton of aerial duels, um, which is basically Barnes just win headers and then Burnley will get the second balls or or at least hope to and even though that put us under a lot of pressure last time we all we always like we always dealt with it really like I think Phillips had a really really good game that day winning loads and loads of headers um yeah be interesting to see how how Vidra changes it although it's obviously not the first time we've had movement in behind but I, I think one thing that I think about recently was Josh Madger in the Fulham game, uh, Fulham away, he caused a lot of problems for Llorente and Strauch. Both of them, I think they looked bad defensively in that in that first half. And I, I, I like both players, but I think they they looked um, like they were struggling with that mobility. So that's something to watch for, I think. Yeah, and I don't think they were helped in that game by Alioski bombing balls <laughs> in <laughs> at height uh, to to the to the goalkeeper, kicking it well. back off for a for a corner under no pressure, that kind of thing. I'll just run through the Burnley team that played against Fulham in their most recent game. So they've got Nick Pope in goal. They'll have probably, I think, the same back three that they had against us in the first fixture. So Taylor, me, Tarkovsky and Loughton. Uh, And then... Dwight McNeil is a player who we should probably talk about a little bit because uh, Jamie was obviously glowing in his uh, in his um, chat about uh, McNeil, and I think I, I know a lot of people who are very very uh, positive about him, especially his capacity to be a creator in this sort of team. Uh, and then 
Jack Hawk, Ashley Westwood in midfield, um, and then Brownhill on the right, I think, which is out of position. But uh, again, they I don't think they really have anyone to, to play that role. Uh, and they've struggled with that role. I mean, they clearly were struggling with it when they played as last as well. Uh, and then, as you said, Vidra and Wood. Um, Joe, I'll, I'll go over to you on this then. Um, we, still, we still haven't really t- touched on your question in terms of Leeds um, being able to play through the press. I, I wonder how you might answer that question yourself. Well, I, I suppose I do. I do feel like we're going to be able to play through the press a bit better. Like I said before, just having the players in their more natural positions. Um, I think Urente's had a good spell or a consistent spell at, um, at right centre back, um, and I think having him in that position um, is going to help us play through the press because he has shown that he's quite good at playing some of those through balls. Um, it might not look very gracious when he does so, but um, he can certainly ping one across the field pretty well. Um, and then having Ailing out there for support on on his side as well, um, I think is going to really help. I mean, you mentioned um, Dwight McNeil, and I always say this about opposition left wingers, um, but I, I do think it's going to be good having him against Ailing. I think Ailing um, is quite good defensively and um, has shown that he can be quite um, quite good at tracking runs back um, and I do quite fancy that battle between Ailing and McNeil. I think it's one of our strongest defensive players against probably, presumably one of their strongest wingers. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess I'm looking a bit more positively. I don't want to undermine Burnley. I, I think I probably did for the first fixture, um, but just given how many players we actually have fit um, defensively, I feel like we could set we could look to control this game a bit more um, and hopefully not not concede so many turnovers um, when we're playing out from the back. As I said before, I, I think Phillips and, and Cleek in midfield is just that's just better than, than what we were able to put out last time. Yes, they might have a slightly different team, um, but I would expect that midfield our midfield two to be better than their midfield two there. Um although it's you know, it's not quite a two in, in the shape that that we play, but um I think it will function a bit more like a two uh, in this particular case. Um, and as regards to um, to McNeil, uh, I think Ailing is at his best defensively when when players want to play on the outside. Uh, and I think McNeil is a he's a left winger that stays wide and crosses. So I think uh, I think that that kind of suits him. Um, if he was a a winger that was going to dribble a lot and look to go inside i think that's where um that's where we can see a few issues with ailing much as i i love ailing i think he can be beaten inside a bit too easily and then it could be a case of you know are, are we going to get overloaded there but i don't think that will happen um and if we're playing a 3 which we are pretty sure to be doing then Urente also can come over to cover if anything like that ever happens. So I, I don't, I don't, I'm not too worried about McNeil. I think he's a good player, but we've faced a lot of better players than him this season and dealt with them. So I'm not going to panic about them having one player that can beat some players and cross it. The three three one three is sometimes called a three diamond three because you have basically a, a deep lying midfielder and a more advanced midfielder, and we're going to be playing against the four four two where the two midfielders are going to be side by side. Um, and you've mentioned the shape there a little bit, Josh. Um, what 
what impact do you think that that will make? Because you know, you've said, we've talked a lot about how Rodrigo and Click together didn't really work. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's not simply a case of um, them not working. It was them working te- in tandem as an eight, a pair of eights, whereas this is more like a, a sort of 10 and then a, and then a deep line midfielder. So w- what impact do you think that's going to make on, on the structure in particular? Um, and I guess from here, I'm kind of interested in, how we feel about the three-three-one-three in general this season because we've been pretty poor in the three-three-one-three this season. There's been very few games where we've actually looked impressive in that structure, and I wonder if either of you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, I think I think we've um, we've looked good in some games where we've played a back three, but we've tended to have a a four in midfield or a five in midfield uh, in in those games where we've played well. So I I would I would wonder whether. It, we might look a bit more like a four. Um, obviously, with Ailing as a as a right wing back and potentially Dallas, then they're not quite like like wide midfielders. Um, certainly not Dallas if he's on the left. I don't think he's going to be a particularly wide midfielder. But I just think maybe Phillips might sort of push forwards a bit from the deeper position, and Dallas and um, Click, sorry drop back a little bit from the 10 and that they just squeeze that gap a little bit so that it becomes a bit more like a two. Although I think we'll still clearly see one being more advanced of the other, but I don't think it will be like a chasm where you've got the center circle between, between the two of them. Um, whereas I think with Rodrigo, he, his natural starting position is a bit higher up. Um, I, I just, I think that's how it will, how it would work. Uh, I know we don't, play a 3-4-3 against a a 4-4-2 but I just wonder whether it might look a little bit like that yeah I'm just trying the last time we played 3-3-1-3 was against Southampton right and we played again we played click in that deeper position because I think Phillips was injured again then and we had Roberts as a as a as a 10 as well but I'm trying to think did we did we almost look as though we were playing uh, with like a, a double pivot in well two players side by side in the midfield rather than one in front of the other in that game that's what I thought, because and didn't that come? I, I might be getting my fixtures a bit wrong, but didn't that come soon after the Wolves game where Harrison had, had Harrison flipping out my names are all over the place? But Shackleton had played in midfield and played well in that too with Click, and then and then before Shackleton could get a successive starts, he obviously got an injury as per always. In that fixture, we played four four two technically but it was more like a 4-4-1-1 and Roberts played in front of Shackleton and Click and we just didn't have a defensive midfielder we just saw one or other of them dropping in depending on whether they were ball side of the uh, build-up play yeah I quite I quite like that to be honest I think I think it works well and I think with with Phillips and Click you you can do that because I think they I think Click he likes to come and get the ball from deeper positions and progress carry it forwards a bit and look, look to play passes or or make little link ups in the wide areas. I think he's capable of doing lots of different things to progress the ball. What about you, Joe? What do you make of this whole three three one three system? I mean, the only thing that worries me, um, talking about it and talking about this potential three four three, um, having Phillips and Click in the middle, um, is, and I think maybe we we saw hints of this when we played Burnley last time, but. Um, it's just a struggling to get out of our own half, really. Um, when we win the ball back um, in our own half, if if we've had those those two players um, both tracking their men defensively, 
and we've not really got a 10 as a, as a sort of out ball. I mean, I know we can play it to the wings, but um, I think one thing that does help us uh, in build-up is having a 10 that can go to either side and help up in the in the wide areas and help with the build-up. Um, coming coming back with their back to goal, for example, and then laying a ball out wide and spinning round. And um, it does worry me that we're we're not going to have that ball um, if it's both Phillips and Click playing as sixes, let's say, or a six and an eight. Um, then that might be a potential hole in the system because when you when you do play a three three one three, effectively you are taking one of the midfielders and. Um, putting them at centre back, you're you're taking that position and playing an extra centre back instead. So, um, yeah, I did sort of wonder what you guys thought about that in terms of having a having no number ten as per. Yeah, I mean, this is something we've talked about a little bit in the in the group chat, isn't it? About what the status of the two eights really is. Um, do we do we do we consciously set out to be like we need to have a more attacking eight and a slightly less attacking eight or is it simply just when the personnel are available you put one in and and depending on their skill set they will play that in role in a more or less attacking way um i don't think i don't think against burnley it will matter too much because um like we like we're saying the two the two midfielders click and phillips as we're suggesting will be playing up against the the two um eights for for Burnley and it will be the, it'll be a case then of of, of trying to get the ball into uh, we don't really attack through the middle anyway right it's a, a case of getting the ball into wide areas and 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 then trying to get your players from that um from from that sort of transitional movement into the wide areas then you want to get sort of four or five players across the the spread of their defense so that when you play the ball in you've got a good chance of of scoring so i don't think we use like a 10 as a sort of creative impulse we've never really done that even I guess maybe not since Samu Saez because again that was a sort of skill set that he had even when we had someone like Hernandez um, Hernandez is, is is not really creating necessarily through the middle although I guess he was when when we were up against teams who were sitting deep uh, but I think yeah I think in this instance it, it should be fine because like we've said before you use the two eights really as a as a, as a means of helping the build up in wide areas and then you want to get them into uh, into advanced wide areas so they can do that sort of triangular build-up play uh, and then and then move the ball into the box. But I don't know if you, do you have any thoughts on this, Josh? The three-three-one-three. I think it looked at it at its best last season when we moved um, Phillips into the position in front of the back three. Uh, the season, the first season, whenever we played three-three-one-three, that meant moving Phillips into the into the defence, and I think that didn't look so good. Last season, I thought it was better when we would basically play Cooper, Berardi and White uh, as as the three and then Phillips in front. And this season, I don't think we've been able to do that at any point, really, um, just because of purely because of how many centre-back injuries we had. So that's what I think makes a difference. Um, You're right in terms of the way that the the progression happens. Um, Yeah, it's basically bounce the ball around come come out of your position from from eight move it out back to the wing play bounce passes spin get up the pitch um yeah i i think i think maybe i'm being just <laughs> for some reason i'm just really enthusiastic that it's going to work out this time around and, and i'm this is misguided but i i feel confident for for some reason that that i think 
Burnley, I don't think they're going to have the mobility to cope with it with with those players. I just think they're going to move and offer for the ball a lot more. Uh, yeah, let's hope that I'm right. <laughs> yeah, and and look, I, I would have no problem with us playing a sort of out and out ten in that position if I felt we were playing a team who were just going to be sitting back and trying to absorb pressure. But I don't think Burnley are going to be doing that, so I have no problem whatsoever in in saying it's fine for us to play two eights rather than a, a six and a ten um, because I think we will get most of our upside in an attacking sense in those sort of in, in those sort of attacking runs down the in, in the wide areas and and trying to get the ball quickly into the into the box so uh, I don't think there's there's necessarily any issue with not playing a sort of out and out creative 10 who's going to be a fulcrum who can maybe pick a lock in a against a back a, a back a bank of four and four four and five and the good thing is this time around if that is if we do need that if we if we have started with Phillips and, and Click and we need that, we've got Roberts, we've got Rodrigo, we've got Hernandez, all that that can do that. Um, so I, yeah, it's it's nice to have some more positive options. And um, one final thing we should talk about, really, in terms of the structure, is the wing backs. Um, you mentioned Josh that you were you would be happy with Dallas as, as the sort of left wing back and Ailing as the right wing back. And the wing back position is was quite interesting, and I know that people have on their bingo cards me talking about the Cagliari game in pre-season um, when Forshaw played as the right wing back in in um, in the 3-3-1-3 that we played then um, and it seems as though we when we play this 3-3-1-3 we'll often have a, a sort of wide wing back option and then almost like a double pivot wing back option a, a player who will sit inside help out with the defensive work and then um, I guess at the time was allowing Luke Ayling who was uh, playing as a right centre back in the back three to get forward uh, and just drop, drop into that into that um, space that was left behind. And I'm I'm kind of interested in what people's thoughts are on the fact that you know if we're playing Ailing, who probably wants to be more of a touchline hugging um, wing back, so someone who's going to get forward and and look to work in the wide channel. Where and and Dallas is someone who likes to play inverted. Whether or not we might see something like that as well. So with Dallas on the left inverting. Uh, and helping out with with Phillips in in a sort of midfield double pivot, and then Ailing just looking to get a certain amount of license down the line. Does that seem like a a structure that we might see? And um, I, I think previously when we've played the three three one three, it's always been the other way around. It's been Dallas or uh, Forshaw, as I mentioned, uh, as the right wing back sitting inside, allowing Ailing to get forward. And then I think in the Cagliari game we played uh, Leif Davis as as the left wing back, and he very much played as a sort of classic wing back hugging the touchline as well whether or not we might just see that inverted in this game um, I don't know if either of you had any thoughts on that I hadn't really considered that but it, it does sound like that's going to give us some success uh, to me having Dallas inverted um, helping out Phillips in in the middle um, I think like Josh said earlier um, when we were talking about player of the season Dallas has shown in his versatility that he can do those unusual roles and he showed it against Leicester um, when he played that weird, like you said, Josh, that sort of left centre-back, but in midfield. Um, and I do quite like the idea of having Dallas there and um, potentially having Harrison outside of him as well. If if Dallas is inverting on the left, then we can have Harrison tracking back on the left-hand side, um, almost covering um, that wide area um, that Dallas is leaving to, to go into the centre. So that does sound like quite an interesting idea to me. Um, and just while we're on the wing backs, the other thing I wanted to um, throw in, um, I'm sure this will be answered pretty quickly from the both of you, but um, can you? does that mean that you can 100% see Alioski dropping out 
um, because he's played quite a lot of games uh, in a row, actually, I, I believe. Um, he's been in the team quite consistently. And do you think Bielsa is um, just going to drop him for this game and play Dallas there? It's a good question. It's obviously, I obviously thought about that. I think I just someone's got to drop out. In, I think uh, in when we change to the three three one three, in this particular case, particularly if Phillips and Rafinha are going to come back into the starting eleven, which I, I think we all imagine they are, it would be pretty surprising uh, if Phillips and Rafinha didn't start. Um, so I think just someone's got to go and from the team there and I thought um if 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 we were playing in a game where we were going to start in 4141 I think even I couldn't I could have seen Bielsa thinking well Robin Cox just played pretty well so I I'm not necessarily just going to drop him straight away even though Phillips is is the player that always plays that role Bielsa has thrown curveballs like that every now and again so I think he would, might not have lost his place either way um, and I definitely can't see him losing his place if we're going to a three-three-one-three because he just naturally fits into that centre-back spot. So in that case, Roberts and Alioski were the were the obvious ones to drop out. I thought because um, we know that Dallas is going to fit in the team wherever Bielsa wants him to fit in the team. Uh, he'll find a place for him, and he's played that role a lot of times. Uh, and I just as I said, I think Click was really, really good against Spurs. Uh, so I think he'll he'll want to get him back up to the levels that he he had played at before. And we know that he would get picked in every single game possible up until quite recently. He would always start. So I think if he looks like he's back to his best, he'll be starting. So yeah, I, I could be I could be wrong, but that's my justification. Yeah, I think the way that Bielsa will look at this is that if you're going to move to the 3313 what you're basically doing is adding another center back in so that takes pri- priority in his decision making so he'll pick i think the best back 3 that he can and this is going to be the first time this season i think where we've been able to actually pick three out and out center backs as as the as the back 3 and so i think that then means that you're pushing you're 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 essentially removing one of the midfielders which i think will in this case have to be Dallas and then the question is what do you do with Dallas do you leave him off the pitch or do you drop him in, in instead of Alioski. Um, that's the decision that, that Bielsa will have to take. And I think most people would probably, when faced with that decision, go with Dallas. Um, although I do I do understand why people will be saying that, that Alioski's just had a good game, so he would uh, be, be merited a position. But again, there's reasons why Alioski had a good game. Um, and, and that was because he was given a huge amount of space. And I don't think that Brent, uh, Brentford. Um, I don't think the Burnley are going to be Freudian slip. Um, I don't think the Burnley are going to be giving us a huge amount of space in the build-up. You've talked already, Joe, about about playing through the press, and if we want to play through the press, I don't, I don't think you want to include necessarily Alioski in that um, in that position. Wait for us to have the team completely wrong now as well. <laughs> yeah. Ailing will be right centre back, and it will just all be everything will be different. Yeah, and then Dallas will be right wing back. And then Alioski will be the left wing back. We obviously know that 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 could happen, so, but this is, I guess, you know, this is what I would do in in that three three one three. But I think I just think it makes the most sense given the players that are available. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And um, obviously, with the proviso that we could be completely wrong. Um, let's move on because we have really run out of time. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit just quickly about who needs to play well. So, um, yeah, Joe, who do you think needs to play well for Leeds to win? I'd love to see a good game from Rafinha. Um, I mean, that's sort of stating the obvious, really, because he's uh, probably our best player. Um, But with him being out of the team due to injury and him coming back, there's only three games left. And it'd just be nice to see a good um, performance from him, um, more from from an entertainment point of view than anything else, because I really enjoy watching him. Uh, He's one of my favourite players to watch, so... Um, I, I think it would be it would be good to see him play well and to create some chances. Um, because, like you say, like we've like we've spoken about, a lot of our build up is focused on the wings, and I think between him and Harrison, um, they're going to be in charge of quite a lot of our attacking play. So, um, yeah, those those two would be my picks for who's going to play well or who sh- who needs to play well. Phil, like I've said it already, but I, th- I think Phillips, um, Phillips and Click, um, yeah just enabling us to to play out uh, in a way that we struggled to uh, last time. And then, Josh, how do you expect the game to pan out? Better than last time I'm going with. Uh, obviously, <laughs> we won, but 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 uh, I'm thinking we will look a lot better on the ball. Uh, I think we'll be on top, but I think we'll have to be wary of, um, of them pinging the ball forwards and trying to get Vidra in behind. Uh, and yeah... Always, this is a type of game that will make me nervous for set pieces when I haven't been too nervous for set pieces in a while. I feel the same as Josh. I feel quite positive about this one. Burnley are safe from relegation. We've got a lot of our players back from injury and everything that we've spoken about. I do feel quite positive, but normally those are the games where um, it ends up being a terrible performance <laughs> and we lose one nil. So I'm not. I'm not predicting that that's going to happen, but um, you just never know. But uh, yeah, over, overall, I'm feeling pretty positive and I'm looking forward to it yeah so there you have it the all starts on we Burnley preview we'll be back on Sunday with a review of that game uh, if you want to get more of our stuff before then then check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we there is a video analysis of the Spurs game up on there um, and we're going to have loads of content up in the next few weeks anyway because there's a real um, schedule glut in the next few games so keep an eye out on our Twitter channel for anything going out there and so with that I think we've arrived at the end of the podcast so all there is for me to do is to say thank you Joe cheers and thank you Josh see you later and we'll see you in a couple of days time It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.